Okay, well, today we want to uh, continue our study in Genesis. We are at a very important place. I know, they're all important places. But this is really a real highlight in Jacob's life and in the whole story. And you're familiar with it, and we might look at it from a little bit of a different angle, not a different truth, just a little bit of a different angle, we'll see. So Jacob has been for 20 years now in uh, uh, the old country, right? He's been with Laban and the whole story. We, we concluded that story a few weeks ago. Uh, and, uh, and, and now uh, the Lord told him to return, right? To go back, to go back home. Now, if you remember back in chapter 28, that uh, God told him that he was going to be returning, you know, 20 years earlier. And it is kind of interesting so that when, when Jacob is running away from Esau, remember that's what happens in chapter 28, he's running away from Esau, he's scared for his life, uh, and his parents basically tell him to leave the country, right? Uh, leave home. Uh, he has this encounter with God before he leaves, right? That's the, that's the dream of the ladder with uh, the angels going up and down. And, and uh, we talked at that point about how that was a, an assurance to him of God's presence with him. And it also points to Yeshua, certainly at the very end of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. We talked all about that. I, uh, but then he goes off, right? And it seemed like, I, you know, where is God? You, you know, uh, he's having trouble all the way through. Uh, you know, with uh, the issue of the wives, the issue of having to stay extra time, being there for 20 years. Well, what we learned is while he was away, if you remember, while he was there, he became very wealthy uh, and he had a lot of children. Uh, and so when he returns, uh, he actually has a lot uh, going for him, but he is far away. But now he's going to return. Because he knew that this was the place to be. And we said uh, uh, a few weeks ago that uh, even though he acquired great wealth and, and everything, he was not in the place that he was supposed to be. And we said that uh, at that time that sometimes, you know, good things can happen to us and we can feel good about it, but we're not in the right place, right? But that we have to come home. We have to come back. And this is what we read about uh, here in chapter 32. So Jacob is, uh, in, in chapter 31, God told him that it's time to return. Now he, uh, you know, he, he hasn't forgotten about what happened when he left. He hasn't forgotten about Esau. And he is afraid now when he comes, when he comes back. He is afraid. It says here at the beginning of the chapter, Now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And Jacob, when he saw them, and Jacob said when he saw them, This is God's camp. So he named that place uh, Mahanaim. Then uh, Jacob, which means basically like two hills, okay? Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. 
And I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find, to tell my Lord that I might find, I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and furthermore, he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him, which was sort of like the size of what we might call a militia. Okay, so this was very disconcerting to Jacob. Uh Uh-oh, this could be the end. Then Jacob, as it says in verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And so he comes up with with a plan, with a strategy. And he divided the people who were with him in the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. So, in other words, we, can, we, can, we won't be annihilated. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who did say to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which thou hast shown to thy servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me, the mothers with the children. For thou didst say, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So we see here that in this chapter... Jacob has, first he has a strategy to, 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 uh, of, of what to do, but then he prays. And he prays, that, this is a very interesting prayer uh, that, that uh, he prays. First of all, uh, what's interesting at the very beginning of it, when he says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who did say to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. The first part of the prayer, he is repeating basically from chapter 28. And the last part of the beginning of the prayer is what God says to him in chapter 31. So that's kind of interesting. It kind of envelopes the whole time, you know? The the God who sent me to Mesopotamia, the God of Abraham, my father, and Isaac, uh, my father, and the one who told me to return, the one who has been with me when I go, and the one who is with me when I return. This tells us something about Jacob. Jacob was a believer in the God of Israel. He was a believer in the God of Israel. That's why he can pray that way, okay? He knows to whom he is praying. And he also, when he says, return, when he says, because you said to me, return to your country and your relatives and I will prosper you, I am appealing to you, God, who I'm relying on your word. I'm relying on what you told me. I'm going back because it's the right thing to do. And I'm really afraid of going back because Esau is there. And I'm going to have to confront my brother. Okay? But you told me to go and that you'll prosper me. So I am appealing to you. Then the next thing he says is, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which thou hast shown to thy servant. You know, it's very interesting. Uh, I can't help but say this for about the hundredth time, that when you read commentaries on this passage, what most will say is something like this. 
when Jacob wrestled with uh, God, that's when he came to, he had a, that was his uh, coming to, his coming to Yeshua experience. But isn't it interesting that before that, he says, you've been faithful to me. I am unworthy of your loving kindness. You are the God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac. May I suggest that he knew the Lord this whole time. And that's why he prays this prayer. This chapter is not just about the wrestling with God, but about it begins with him praying to God for deliverance. Get me out of this mess, Lord. I'm unworthy, Lord. Help me, God. That is his prayer. Okay? I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to thy servant. For with my staff only I crossed into this Jordan, and now I become two companies. He's saying, I am unworthy. You have been faithful to me. I am a, a sinner. Who am I that you should show me such faithfulness? He certainly understood himself. Uh, he showed great humility here. Uh, he understood that he was not worthy of uh, what God, uh, what he wants from God and what God has done in his life. And it's important for us to pause here because, you know, obviously we want to apply this uh, when we read this in our own lives. I, uh, and so Jacob stresses his unworthiness to receive the loyal love of God. So from our point of view, and this is, you know, the, Jacob's point of view, he is unworthy. I, I, and we know there are lots and lots of verses in the Bible that tell us that. All fall short of the glory of God. You know, you read in Romans chapter 5, while we were yet enemies, Messiah came. And then a, a few verses earlier, it says, while we were helpless. You know, so clearly we understand that, that we are not worthy of what God has uh, done in our lives. Uh, none of us are perfect. And the fact of the matter is, regardless of where we come from or what our individual story is, Sin is a level playing field in a certain respect. You, you know what I mean? We're all uh, sinners. Uh, we all have been rebellious. Certainly there's different kinds of sins, and some sins have different repercussions and, and consequences in our, in our lives, no doubt. No, no doubt about that. But uh, all of us are unworthy of uh, the saving grace of a Messiah. We are all unworthy. Uh, even to come to God in prayer. But you see, from God's point of view, how important is this? From God's point of view, we're created in his image and in his likeness. From the heavenly point of view, we are worthy of the sufferings of the Messiah. From his point of view, he gave us his all so that we could be redeemed. And so it's important to always, with so many things, to have that balance, you know, so that when we say, you know, like the song says, I'm a worm or whatever that goes. Isn't that an amazing grace somewhere? Right. Yeah. Right. That, uh, yes, I understand that we are unworthy of the grace of God. That's humility. That is recognizing God for who he is and that none of us can earn our way in or um, say enough prayers or be so active or read the Bible through a hundred times or whatever it is that no, none of us are worthy. And so we have a relationship with God. And Jacob had a relationship with God based on God, not on himself. 
based on the promises of God. And so that is true for you and I. Okay? So he is unworthy of the loving kindness of God. And so remember this. You know, sometimes, have you ever, have you ever had this experience? I mean, I have had this experience. You're with somebody that you know, and you look at their lives, you think, they really are walking with God. And I am like, I would use a Yiddish word, but I'm afraid one of you might be able to actually know what it is. So I'll just say, uh, I'm like dirt, you, you know? I, uh, when I, uh, because look at this person. I, I'm sure they, they prayed for an hour this morning. Me, I was able to brush my teeth. You, you know, uh, and do you ever get that feeling, you know, sometimes when, when you're with someone? Remember this, and remember this well, that God's love for that person is no greater than his love for you. And by the way, that person probably didn't pray for an hour, okay? Just, just so you know. But remember this, that, you know, we all know who we are, right? We know who we are, and we, knew, we know that that I, I am so unworthy, you know. So it's good to know that, but recognize that God's love for you is not based on you, and his love for you is no different than it is for anyone else that, that knows the Lord, that, 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 that he loves like that, you know. You don't earn God's love. Even after you know the Messiah, you don't earn his love. You experience more of it, as you walk on the Derech Adonai, the way of the Lord, you certainly experience more of it, but he loves you just as much. I'll say it another way. The day that you received the Lord into your life, the day you received the Lord into your life, God shed his love on you, even if you were a little kid, right? And then, uh, then, you, the, you know, you know, then we all have experiences in life that his love for you does not change from that first day all the way through, no matter what we've been through. Remember a few weeks ago, I think I shared this with you. When I came to know the Lord, uh, I was uh, 19 years old, uh, and, I, and I had been spared a lot of the social ills of that period of time, probably because I can remember it. But anyway, uh, uh, but that it wasn't until after I came to know the Lord that, you know, I experienced um, temptations and things like that, and uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and I will say that, that for most of us, uh, we all have experience. We might ask ourselves, you know, after I came to know the Lord, I, I sinned more after I knew the Lord than before, you know, depending on where in life we come to faith in the Messiah. Remember that his love for you does not change because it's not based on you. Jacob's, uh, God's love for Jacob was not based on how obedient Jacob was, but on God's love for him, on God's righteousness, God's righteousness. And certainly that is quite clear uh, in the Messiah. So he prays, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown thy servant. Okay, then he prays, save me, basically, deliver me. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. So he runs to God. He is afraid as he returns. And yes, he develops, a, he has a strategy, figures out something to do, but he goes to God and he trusts God. God, deliver me. Deliver me from the hand of Esau, my brother. He runs to God. Great lesson there. 
Okay? So often in this chapter, we forget about this prayer that he prays before he has this encounter with God. One might say that the encounter with God was part of an answer to this prayer. Okay? Okay. Uh, he says, yes, uh, deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he come and attack me, the mothers with the children. And then he invokes another uh, promise of God. For you did say, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. Uh, for multitude. So he uh, counts on the word of God. He counts on the promise of the word of God, what God says to him. And how important is that for you and I, right? When we are afraid, when we are, to use the whole big picture, when we are returning, <laughs> one might say, uh, you know, or repenting, or, or, uh, or even if we just have a, a, we're going through some difficulty in our lives and we are afraid, it is good to run to God, okay? It is good to run to God and with the bedrock knowledge of his promises about his love toward us, that he never leaves us and he never forsakes us, uh, he, he guides us, he teaches us, he has given us a living hope, which is a future destiny. Our problem sometimes is, is we think he's promised us all kinds of other things, like easy street, or, you know, at some point I will, it's like being on a roller coaster, that I, I'm slowly going up, up to the top, and I will reach the top, and then it will just be, woo! You know, and that's it, right? And that is, that is not what God promises us. He promises us comfort. He promises us that he will navigate the waters, the choppy waters of this life with us. And he will give us a measure of peace and he will give us joy. And the joy is unspeakable uh, and, uh, and, and, and the peace is beyond comprehension because it's in the middle of all kinds of stuff that's going on. And not because everything, everything now is just fantastic. And that's why it is the, the, um, the peace and comfort uh, of, uh, of, of God. But he promises that he, us that he will never leave us and forsake us and that we can live a satisfying life despite the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Okay? All right. So now uh, he prays this prayer. And then uh, for the next 10 verses or so, we see how he, pre he's, he prepares. He prepares to meet Esau. But then something happens. Not only does he pray and have that kind of encounter with God, but now another encounter with God. In verse 22, they all uh, prepare themselves and take their places, and he spends the night in the camp. It says in verse 21. Then in verse 22, now he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated when he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. 
And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, or Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose over him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping in his, on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. All right. So now we see that as he enters the land, he has another encounter with God. He prays, and now he has this encounter. And it says here, a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Okay. And then when it says, and he saw, see, one of the problems of interpreting this passage is you have way too many pronouns. <laughs> okay. But that's okay. We're not going to solve all those problems here this morning. Okay. But we'll, we'll get the point. All right. Uh, so it says, and when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated when he wrestled uh, with him. All right. So usually we refer to this as Jacob wrestled with the man. And we know that the man is an angel and we know that the man is the angel of the Lord uh, Jacob identifies him as that identifies him as he's been with God, and then this is also mentioned in Hosea chapter twelve, in verses three and four, as he contended with God. Okay, all right. But usually we call it Jacob wrestled with the angel. But may I suggest that it might be wiser to say the angel wrestled with Jacob. Okay, the angel wrestled with Jacob. In other words, it's not like uh, there was uh, this man appeared and Jacob started wrestling with him. Because a man wrestled with Jacob. Okay, I think that's a helpful way to understand this. In that uh, God was doing a work in Jacob's life. In this wrestling, God is the proactive one in a certain respect, okay? Yes, Jacob wouldn't let him go till he got a blessing, but the angel is wrestling with Jacob. And uh, as, uh, as we see here, uh, uh, we see that he had not prevailed against him. He touched the socket of his thigh. Uh, now Jacob, uh, his uh, thigh is dislocated, uh, you know, in this. And so, so in this, in the angel... Interacting with Jacob, wrestling with Jacob, okay? God is doing a work, and Jacob has a lasting infirmity. And he has a lasting infirmity because he, Jacob is very tenacious and says, I will, not, I will not let go until you give me a blessing. So you see, wow, so it seems that it's going both ways. That the angel is wrestling with Jacob, and Jacob is wrestling with the angel. It's not a one-way uh, not, not a one-way uh, event, not a one-way event here. And what Jacob wants more than anything else is uh, the, the blessing, right? Let me go for the dawn is breaking, but he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Okay, now, I, then he wants to know, uh, the, the, the angel says, what is your name? He says, Jacob. 
You shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And so, again, you have two points of view. You have the physical on the ground point of view, and you have a point of view from the heavenlies. And that is, yes, Jacob has striven with God and has prevailed, but we may also say that the angel has striven with Jacob at the very same time. And the end result is blessing. It's interesting that uh, the normal definition of... When, when you read names, right, of, uh, of names that end with L, they're names that describe God, right? Think of anybody's name in the Bible that... You know, uh, uh, for example, uh, Daniel, God is judge, Right? We don't say that Daniel judges God, right? No, we don't say that. Of course not. And so with Yisrael, the actual meaning uh, is the striving of God. God strives. In fact, I would guess if you have a, you know, uh, like cross-references, and sometimes you have little numbers that give you like uh, literal meanings of words, you might find there in your margin, it might say God strives. Okay, uh, and it's because it's a little bit ambiguous. God strives with us. Jacob strives with God, uh, uh, struggles with God, and the end uh, is, uh, is a blessing. What is indeed the blessing? You know, it doesn't actually say, does it? I would suggest the blessing is an assurance for what was uh, uh, Jacob praying? He was praying that he would be delivered from his brother, and I would suggest that that is the first installment of the blessing. The blessing is God's continued uh, assurance for Jacob of his presence uh, and God working in his life uh, and all that he had promised. And the first installment is the deliverance from Esau. But it is interesting because, boy, if you go to the chapter after the deliverance from Esau, it's not so good anymore. There you have a, tr a terrible tragedy with the rape and, and death of Dina. And so now there's a terrible thing that happens. So is this blessing some short-lived uh, little thing? No, it is that God is saying to Jacob, I'm going to be with you when you go back into this land, whether it is good times or bad times, whether it is, uh, involves deliverance or struggle. Whatever it is, I will be with you. I will strive with you always. You'll strive with me. I will strive with you. And if this was, uh, if we were going to talk here about the history of Israel, that is the history of Israel. God striving with the Jewish people, the Jewish people striving with, with, with God. But God's continued hand always upon them. Same with you and me. The same with you and me. And you know, this issue of, uh, of struggle, of this wrestling, is, uh, is rather interesting because another way to look at this, uh, this wrestling, God with him, him with God, is that Jacob is waiting. He's waiting for Esau. He's waiting for this moment. And it's in the waiting that God does this great work in his life. It's not so much about the deliverance from Esau. It's that God does this great work in his life while he's waiting for Esau. He prays, 
and he has uh, this striving with a God. And one of the things that Jacob learns in this is dependence on God. Not just God is going to get me through this, but dependence on God. He's limping at the end, right? And so there's, a, there's something lasting that takes place. Doesn't it kind of remind you of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? When I am weak, then I am strong. I prayed three times that God would deliver me from this thing. But I have this thorn in my side. And what do I learn? I learned that when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong because God is at work in my life. And it's not about me. It's about God being at work in my life, you know? Uh, and the Bible is filled with this issue of this waiting. Read the Psalms. The Psalms are all about waiting, right? In uh, Psalm 40, for example, Psalm number 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and will trust in him. But there's something to remember about this psalm. Not just verses, not just verse 3. Or the second half of verse 2 and verse 3. But dwell a little bit on verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2. I waited patiently for the Lord and I, and I inclined, and he inclined his ear to me and heard my cry. He brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. You know what? We don't know how long that took. We don't know how long that took. Sometimes when we read verses like this, we think, well, as the, the one and a half seconds that it took me to read it is how long I was in the miry clay. And now I'm out. I was in it, now I'm out. I'm in, I'm out. You know? But that is not the case. He might have been in there for 20 years. Maybe 30 years. He was in the miry clay. Maybe he was waiting patiently for God for all of that time. And here we see, yes, God indeed delivered him. Then you have Psalm 42, a little bit of a different story. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Uh, when shall I come and appear before a God? My tears have been my food day and night. Okay, so without taking the time to read the whole psalm, he's sad. And you know, part of it is he's saying to himself, Oh, my soul, why am I so sad? He said, I am like down. And what's interesting is what he prays at the very beginning. He doesn't pray, God, make me feel better. He doesn't pray, God, fix the situation. He prays, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He wants more of God. He prays, Lord, give me more of you. In his depression, in his tears, in his sadness, Lord, I need more of you. What a great uh, key to understanding wholeness with God. I need more of you, O oh God. And in a way, that is what Jacob is praying. That is what's happening with Jacob. He, said, he goes to God in prayer, and then the angel fights with, you know, uh, wrestles with him, and he's wrestling with, you know, uh, with, with the angel. Because he wants the blessing. He, he wants more of God. And so we may be in that waiting period 
waiting for the thing to happen, whatever it is. Maybe it's the, you know, the return of the Lord, ultimately, uh, or uh, something in our lives uh, to take place, some kind of, of a deliverance. Recognize that wherever you are right now, God is, in the, God is at work. He is striving with you. Isn't it interesting? You think you're fighting God. He's fighting you, okay? I, uh, when I say fighting, you know, you know not, not literally uh, uh, fighting, but striving uh, with you because he wants to bless you. He does. But the blessing is not on this gift or that thing, but it is on the, the, that intimate relationship uh, with God. And, and, and so there are many passages, uh, you know, to read when we, um, when we talk about this kind of, this kind of topic. Uh, you know, in, in another passage in uh, 2 Corinthians, we'll be done in just a second. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verses uh, 17 and 18, you have here uh, more of this uh, concept of uh, striving and of suffering. In 16, it says, therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Okay. In fact, uh, by the way, here in 2 Corinthians, if you look at the, the first verse of chapter 4, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. And then down in verse 16, he says it again. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. For while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so recognize that. You may be wondering, where is God? How long, O Lord? When are you going to do something? Recognize that God is, uh, you know, uh, indeed... Uh, God is indeed at work. Uh, and the, um, the fact is, is that we read when Paul uh, wrote uh, to uh, Timothy, he tells him to fight the good fight, fight the fight of faith, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, and embrace the eternal life that God has for you. It's very interesting because uh, it is the word that means like to a- agonize, you, you know, uh, uh, to fight, uh, fight this, uh, the, the good fight. Uh, and so recognize that we have to be proactive in this uh, walk with God, that uh, it is important that we take whatever measures we need to, to move forward, and that in the waiting, in the waiting, that is, when, that is where the action uh, is. And isn't it interesting here uh, that... Um, that uh, Jacob realizes that the one who he has seen and the one he's been with is God. And sometimes for us, it's actually after the fact. Wow, you know, I've been having this really rough time. What's actually been happening is that God has been stirring things up in my life and changing me and molding me and, and making me into the man or woman uh, that, uh, that I am becoming. And we are all certainly, of course, in the process of uh, of becoming, uh, and uh, and so let us uh, go to the Lord uh, in prayer, encouraged to know that uh, wherever we may be, God is at work, 
And God never leaves us. Uh, God never lets us go. Uh, God is uh, desiring for us to have the assurance of his presence in our lives. And uh, uh, through thick and thin, uh, and here we see with, uh, with Jacob. As Jacob now returns, he has this experience with God and he receives this blessing. He receives a new name, in a way, a new identity, a new destiny. Uh, and may that be true in our lives as well. Let's pray. Lord, uh, God, uh, we do uh, pray, Lord, God, that uh, you would indeed work in our lives. In a way, Lord, when we really encounter you, it is kind of like a, uh, it is kind of like a wrestling. Lord, I think of Isaiah, who, when he encountered you, it was not a pretty moment. He was taken to his knees, Lord, and others as well. And Lord, we know that we read plenty of passages in the scriptures about suffering hardship, that the sufferings of the present time are not to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed, uh, revealed in us. Lord, and I pray, God, that no matter we, where we are, God, in our prayer for deliverance, that uh, we might know, God, that when we're striving with you, you bless the struggle, Lord. And the struggle is not about ungodliness. The struggle is about, is about interacting with you. And Lord, we do, uh, we do pray, Lord, that we might be able to have the attitude of Paul when he says, here in Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, yes, even we ourselves groan, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of the body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that it is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? For if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. And so may God bless us even when we're not seeing it, realizing what's coming. And there in 2 Timothy, when Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight, you know, it comes right after flee, flee the love of money, flee immorality, flee all the things that take you away from God and fight the good fight. Uh, it's a great ethical passage of of uh, that's part of the struggle that we have in this world. So may God bless us as, I, as we move forward. And you know, that's what community is about, that we share the walk with one another. We, we, uh, we bear one another's burdens. The goal is the upward call of, Messiah, of, uh, of uh, Yeshua, uh, the upward call of God in Messiah Yeshua, you know? Uh, and so may we all have that vision and may we all strive, walk together to the day of consummation. Lord God, thank you. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.